contents of the lab report meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. G'day, how's it going? Today, G'day. on the lab report, we're going to talk about how can you actually measure the microbiome. We're going to cut through all the noise and simplify the science. Simple science. Mm -hmm. I like it. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. What are you going to be for Halloween, Patty? A pilgrim. Okay. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How are you today? I'm doing great, Patty Devers. How are you doing? I'm crushing it, of course. No. And, you know, living your best life? Always. Okay. You know, Halloween is always so tricky. Remember being a kid, it was like so much pressure. What are you going to be? What are you going to be for Halloween? I didn't feel any pressure. You didn't? To be honest with you. How about as a parent? Is it worse as a parent? Oh, yeah. Everything's <laughs> worse as a parent. Everything in life is worse as a parent. I mean, things are also better as a parent. Correct. But I hear you. Also worse. All right. All right. Anyway, uh, this is a podcast. Yep, yep, yep. It's called The Lab Report. Mm -hmm. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you very much, Genova. It's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics and the like. Oh, and if you like any of those things, well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Lab Report. If you're new, welcome. If you're returning, thank you so much for all of your support. Maybe go to iTunes, Spotify, give us some love there. You know, a star, several stars, some words, some reviews, that kind of stuff. Speaking of reviews, do we got any, have any new reviews that we can um, I don't know, peruse? All right, okay. Are you looking for the bad ones? Uh, or just, just whatever, one, whatever comes up. Here's okay. one. Okay, here we go. Oh, it's titled OMG exclamation point. Best podcast. Dot, oh, dot, thank dot, God. Dot. Thank God. Learning so much. Having so much fun. Great chemistry and great info. Love, Patty and Michael. That's ah! uh, from Penn State Terry. Thanks, Penn State Terry. Uh-oh. That's my sister. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Well, if you are out there and you don't want to do those uh, reviewees on the iTunes and the Spotify's, then you can also just send us an email. You can email us directly, podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Um, and so, yeah, if you have feedback, stuff like that. We read them all. And if you're a consumer interested in driving into Genova's testing yourself, you can go to connect.gdx.net, and there you can order testing. And we can also connect you with a Genova client somewhere in your area to help guide your healthcare. And last week, if you remember, Michael created a promo code for us. Yeah, it turns out we could do that. <laughs> turns out we do have that power. Well, what is it? The promo code is the Lab Report 20 and it is a code that you can use. Uh -huh. You can use it do to it. get 20% off of the GIFX product through connect.gdx.net. Promo code, again, the Lab Report 20 Use it. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Patty, what are we what are we doing today? What are we talking about? We're talking about all the different methods can be used to look at the microbiome. Methods. What do you mean by methods? Like laboratory methods. Mm. You know, there's a lot of them. Mm. Like the machines and stuff. Yeah. The stuff that you actually utilize, the tools, the instruments, the science. Kind of sounds like we're going to have a whole episode on one of my favorite segments, or at least uh, one of my favorite jingles, which is 
scienceness, technology, and machine mechanics, right? I mean, that's kind out. of what we're doing. Pull so we might as well start Hit right it. at the top. Scienceness, technology, machine mechanics, lab stuff. Okay, that is one of my favorites. <laughs> we should talk more about lab stuff so we can use that more and more. <laughs> <laughs> or just use it. Yes. But anyway, so in this industry, in this space, I think it's really common for people to, you know, try to use the flashiest new words, the flashiest new science Mm -hmm. language, the lingo. We had a whole episode on jargon, medical jargon, I think at one point, you know, and I think one of the things that we try to do on this program, too, is to make sure that we're clarifying what is and isn't with some of this and at the end of the day what it actually means for the clinicians uh and the patients well, and and so that's i think the main goal it's not to you know confuse a bunch of people or talk nerdy talk so people are going to turn it off we're going to try to do the opposite actually and to be honest I, you know i was a doctor all my career and these words get bantered around and i didn't even fully understand them until i came to work here at genova so as doctors who work here at genova and are around this i think we're in the perfect position, Michael, to kind of simplify this so that clinicians can understand what this is in a very simple way. And when you think simple, I'm your guy, right? <laughs> Mr. Simpleton over here. No. I'm going to help out. Uh-uh, it's me. Where do you want to start, Patty? Well, first I want to start by saying if you are a lab geek out there and you're super technical and you hear something that you know makes it look sideways and go, that might not be completely right, just know we're not aiming for perfection. We want to get a general, simple understanding out there. So everyone well, calm down. That clearly was incorrect. <laughs> That's supposed to be nine millimolars, not ten millimolars. So calm down, everyone. Now, I do have to say, before we kind of dig into some of this uh, techni- te- technology, uh, I have a little bit of a concern that, you know, it's kind of like from a clinical point of view. Does anyone really care about these methods about these technologies like does it matter i know out there you hear people use these different terms quite a bit and it's usually like well this is the best because it's this technology and aside from that (laughs) i don't i'm not sure that people actually are really interested in anything beyond that they just want to know this is the best because it's this technology because it's just an easy thing to slot in your brain and then you move on with your day picking whatever that quote unquote best tech is i think that's the point to be made though just because a company markets to you uses their marketing terms and says this is the best this is the best way to detect something it's actually not true there's a lot of different methods that are used to assess the microbiome each has their downfall so the, the latest shiny nickel where they say this is the best and the brightest this is it actually also has downfalls. And so clinically, it's important to know what you're missing or what you might not be getting. So I think it's important to, to look at that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully at some point, there will just be one tech, you know, that mm-hmm. that is the best and does everything and doesn't have any of the limitations. We're just not there yet. I, okay. we, there's all of these different techs to a certain extent kind of look at the microbiome from a different angle and it's you know like you've got blind spots whenever you change the position of the camera so you know really the approach that we use here at Genova is integrate all of them mm-hmm. right and and that's not necessarily uh, easy to do but that is the most complete picture and, and we'll kind of go through how and why we do that with these different methods 
Okay, if, I think if we think about the evolution of technology and the history of looking at the microbiome, the first thing they did way back when, because it was really all they had, was culture, right? Take stool, put it on a culture medium plate to see what grows out, which was great at the time. It's good to grow out. It shows you if there's a pathogen that's there, can show you if there's yeast that there that's there. But there's limitations, right? Because it will only grow aerobic organisms. And a lot of what goes on in your microbiome is anaerobic. I mean, you could use anaerobic chambers and other different kinds of mediums, but it is limited, though, does have some use. Yeah. So one thing I want to say there, you know, t- like you were saying, there's there's definitely limitations. And you mentioned the biggest one is uh, the most most of your microbiome is actually anaerobic. And for the most part, culture is specific to aerobic bacteria, right? Bacteria that grow under oxygen environments. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do want to push back about this thought of just because like s- something's an older technology or has been around for a long time. I think we have this natural thing in our brain where we tend to think, you know, that's inferior Agreed. or or maybe less sensitive or less accurate. Um, the inverse of that reminds me of like when I was going through my dad's stuff after he passed away mm-hmm. and this, you know, appraiser or whatever came in. And was like, hey, guys, just so you know, just because something's old doesn't mean it's valuable. Right. I mean, like if a book is 80 years old, that doesn't mean it's worth it. Oh, I see. And so like this is the inverse of that, where we tend to think that any sort of technology that's old isn't isn't any good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just not true. It's there's one thing about culture that I think is incredibly useful that you can really only get through culture, which is viability. Mm -hmm. Okay, so any of these other methods are not giving you a, a clear viability assessment, meaning if you have something on a culture plate, that thing is alive mm-hmm. and no one can say otherwise. So how many times have we been comparing results, um, you know, either internally or but with other lab testing and things like that, where we have discrepancies and it's on a culture plate and we can always say, I can, it's, it's right here. It's growing on the culture plate. You cannot say that we missed it, <laughs> right? There's like, yeah. that is a that is a power that a lot of these other technologies don't necessarily have. But I'll also say that's qualitative, right? You're right. It's alive. And if it grew on a culture plate, there's also a limitation there to say it doesn't mean it's overgrowing your entire microbiome. It's just saying in air on that plate, it grew a lot. It's a qualitative, alive microorganism. Yeah. and And for that matter... A lot of the things that we consider true pathogens show up this way, like our salmonellas, um, things of that nature, uh, our aeromonas. These are all bugs that cause problems in the GI tract. And so to have them on a culture plate gives you also the ability to figure out what that thing is sensitive and resistant to. So we have not abandoned culture because it has that value. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important. And so, you know, just keep that in the back of your head that just because a technology is old, doesn't mean it doesn't have any sort of accuracy to it or usefulness. That being said, let's move on to a different technology. Probably, you know, one of the mo- one of the other really really common technologies, Betty. Okay. Well, in the evolution of studying the microbiome, next up was PCR, 16s PCR probes, which came into fruition somewhere in the 90s, and then was used in the Human Microbiome Project um, to try to map the microbiome, and it's using PCR technology, polymerase chain reaction, with specific probes looking for specific bacteria, which gets around that piece of aerobic versus anaerobic, because you can get the genetic code of an anaerobic bacteria and go looking for it. So the specific conventional PCR, 16S PCR, came into play 
you know, 90s, early 2000s with the Human Microbiome Project. But again, that also had its limitations, right? So if you're looking for a specific bug, you need to have that specific probe, right? It's pretty inexpensive, but you had to have a specific probe for every bug you went looking for. It's amazing to think that, you know, this was first really starting to be used heavily in the 90s. You know, that has been around that long. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just I think about <laughs> just it still seems like somewhat of a new technology. Yeah. Um, and maybe from a diagnostic perspective, like it, it is a little bit. You know, if you think about like hospital gut pathogen panels that are PCR based, um, that's that's not all that old. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, we think even like the COVID tests, which were PCR based, like that's yeah. relatively new tech from from that standpoint. So it's just wild that it's, it's been around for so long. It really kind of is old technology. And and to your point, it does have limitations. It's got several limitations. Um, you mentioned the fact that you need to have separate probes for each organism that you're studying. So you don't have sort of an un, unlimited list of things that you can evaluate for. Um, there's also some problems around understanding the, the overlay of genetics and the probes themselves to where, uh, you know, even within our databases, it's very common to find discrepancies of what the genetic code of this certain bacteria or yeast is. Um, So historically, there's been a lot of inaccuracies as far as creating probes and how applicable they are to that organism, which is why you have to be (laughs) really, really careful and employ like molecular geneticists on your team like Mm -hmm. we have here to make sure that those probes are accurate. And so, and I think the other limitation we'll get in, which is related to both this PCR and then qPCR or uh, real-time PCR, which we'll talk about next, there's a thing called inhibition, which we'll talk about in a minute. All right, we brought up qPCR and real-time PCR in the evolution of, like we're saying, technologies to look at the microbiome. There was conventional PCR with 16S. It was called first-gen sequencing, also called the Sanger sequencing. But that's also evolved and become more technologically advanced and it's something called qPCR also known as real-time PCR still the same thing you're going to need a probe yeah but the difference is that with conventional PCR typically you would run a fixed number of cycles and then examine the results at the end with qPCR or real-time PCR it's continuously monitoring the amplification process and provides data in real time so it's kind of similar in the information that you get, but it's in how it's performed. It becomes more sensitive and more exact by using qPCR, which is what Genova uses. So, and again, here's where we start to get into this area where people kind of are confusing terms. And it's not even that you have to understand the differences that Patty just mentioned. So qPCR, just to put it out front, has been juxtaposed against 16S as qPCR is better than 16S. Here's a clarification. They're both 16S, Correct. right? Yes. And so this is where you start to hear these things of like, well, you know, this lab is the only lab using qPCR to, to do this stuff. And it's so much better, so much more accurate than 16S, which is just, a, it doesn't even make sense from mm-hmm. a science perspective. It's actually it's the same as 16S. It's just a different way of doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, we did move to qPCR. First, we were using it for our PCR parasitology. Mm -hmm. Then we started using it for our uh, our commensal bacteria section of the GIFX. So um, again, in tandem with a lot of the other stuff that we do here, uh, which we'll we'll talk about in a second as well. 
you're right. We use qPCR here at Genova, but much like all methods, there are some limitations. And as it relates to qPCR, we're pretty open with those limitations, and and we're going to be very transparent in telling you what they are. Oh, it's crazy, right? So. I mentioned before so there's this thing called inhibition that can happen with any type of 16s pcr um and in fact we discovered this as we were sort of putting this assay together and validating it mm-hmm. um and we actually investigated you know why this might be happening we found the original research that sort of dictated how often this happens but basically um you know in us pers- specifically a stool sample you have a lot of different chemicals you have a lot of right. different compounds you have a lot of different byproducts um you know it's not like serum or urine which you know tends to be for lack of a better term less messy um and <laughs> See so what you did there so so basically there are things in samples that can actually interfere with the the pcr reaction the way that that reaction is carried out um and so it makes it look as if at the end of the day, you have no DNA there. But that's not because there was no organism there. That's actually because the, the process didn't work correctly because there was something mucking it up. And so that is called inhibition. And it actually happens a lot more frequently than you would expect, like something like 15% of samples and, and things, or 15% of reactions. And so what we did was first we figured that out and we found that out. And then this is the Genova way. Mm-hmm. We actually enabled controls to know when this is actually happening. We have a particular control agent that tests specifically for inhibition in a sample so that we can detect it and then report it. So you get the information saying, okay, we didn't find any of this organism, but that's because there was inhibition, not because we know that there was no organism. If you don't have that quality control in your lab, you have no idea whether a non-detectable limit is because inhibition or there's no organism. You won't know when inhibition is happening. We're the ones who have done the extra work to prove and to show when that's happening. But again, it's the reason Genova uses many different methodologies to capture the dynamics of the microbiome. So if there's a company out there just using PCR, they may not be even understanding that they're missing and there's inhibition 15% of the time and there's no way for them to know. There's no way for them to let you know. So there is a limitation to qPCR just putting that out there. And I think you said it very well, Michael. It was very well explained. Thanks. (laughs) But there's another problem with qPCR in general. And, you know, part of the process of performing qPCR, 16S PCR, is amplification. So you're cycling and Mm -hmm. amplifying to try to increase the genetic material so that you can look at it. If you over-cycle or over-amplify anything, you'll get false positives. I believe we had Ashley Gibbon on the show once, and she mm-hmm. was the head of research and development here, and she said, you can over-amplify and over-cycle sterile water and yeah. still get a response of it being a microorganism when it's absolutely sterile. So yeah. there are a lot of false positives out there. If there's a lab that's over-cycling, you're going to get a whole bunch of false positives that are not real. Yeah, it's this magical kind of sweet spot of understanding what the cycle length is uh, for. And it's not just across the board. It's actually for a given organism. Mm -hmm. Um, Each one is going to have kind of a magic sweet spot. And the risk that you run, like you were saying, Patty, if you are doing too many cycles, you're over cycling, is that you 
you are going to find positives where there are no real positives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the risk on the other side, if you're undercycling, you're going to essentially not detect things that that could potentially be there. So you have to do the diligence to, to know exactly where that sweet spot is. Um, and that's even, you know, machine specific, too. So it mm-hmm. takes a lot of wherewithal to to do this correctly. Okay, so just to recap, we've talked about culture mm-hmm. um, for assessing the microbiome. We've also talked about PCR, both conventional PCR and uh, real-time PCR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's next? Where are we going? Well, uh, of course, technology continues to evolve. And now there's something called next-generation sequencing, which is basically... Su- NGS, baby. <laughs> it's just super advanced and a speedy way of deciphering genetic codes all at the same time. So, you know, you're not just looking for that one probe. You're kind of looking at tons of different genetic material all at the same time. And there's many types of this, like whole genome sequencing, exome sequencing, epigenomic, phylogenomic. So there's a lot of different... Oh my goodness, sub- what are these words you're saying? <laughs> there's a bunch of sub-technologies under this advancement, which is really just a fancy way of saying we can look at tons of gen- genetic material all at the same time, all from one sample, and we don't really need specific probes. Okay, so this is also called shotgun sequencing. It's a flashy term. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why shotgun is basically you you take one sample and you just get an array of all of the genetic material that's in that sample. So, you know, it's kind of sprays all over the place. Like a shotgun. It gets yeah. shot. Was that your shotgun noise? Pew. Pew, pew. <laughs> What's a better shotgun? That's not it. That's a pistol, right? What's a shotgun? I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I think the point you're trying to make with the shotgun sequencing, the pew, pew, <laughs> is the uh, that you can essentially analyze almost anything from a genetic material perspective. Right. So you can you can get segments of genes. You can get uh, RNA. You know, or, or trans think that the genes being transcribed. You can do proteins. You can you can look at basically anything from a, a whole genome or a next gen sequencing perspective. So, and and the thing that always confuses me to a certain extent is like we've got whole we've got next gen sequencing, which is already a wordy term. But mm-hmm. then we we sort of muddle that with this term metagenomics, which sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster or something. I don't know what that <laughs> sounds like. Maybe not. Maybe in my brain. But um. What is what what is metagenomics and how is it different? What what's can you clarify that? Yeah. Here at Genova, we have a profile called the microbiomics. And the microbiomics uses this next generation sequencing to do that shotgun whole genome sequencing. We're looking at every single DNA molecule gene that's in your microbiome and that's called metagenomics. So it's using that fancy, speedy way of looking at all of the genetic material in a sample. We're doing it to the microbiome called metagenomics, and we're looking at DNA, all of the DNA. And using this on the microbiomics, we can identify greater than 95% of your microbiome to the species, species level. We can also look at different DNA material that can code for your microbiome's functional potential to make things like metabolites. We can also identify some new or previously unknown species. So basically using this on the microbiomics, we can say who's there and what's going to potentially happen in your microbiome. Okay, so if I can uh, piece together, make sure I'm understanding correctly. So the shotgun sequencing or the next gen sequencing is basically the Technology. It's the it's the method that's used to mm-hmm. do this thing called metagenomics. Correct. Metagenomics is what you get Correct. from the technology. And what Correct. metagenomics is, meta, 
basically meaning like very large mm -hmm. and genomics meaning a bunch of genes so you're getting a very large array of genes and so how you're putting those things together into information that's usable is basically this idea of metagenomics it's Correct. it's the test result yeah. right yeah okay okay you are absolutely right that's what metagenomics is but like we've been saying this entire episode there are some limitations and some kind of ways that labs can do this either very, very well or not so great. And so same with metagenomics. And so here we use, we have a partner in Australia called Microba, who mm -hmm. happens to lead the world in metagenomics and next-gen sequencing. And so with that, we've learned a lot about the limitations of some other companies or competitors or what makes our test the best. And so one of them, I think, is something called depth of sequencing. What's that, Michael? Um, so depth of sequencing is a very interesting uh, if you are into science and understanding this sort of stuff and you want to really dig into how depth of sequencing is done and determined, um, you can certainly do that. I don't I don't think we need to do that here. Uh, it has to do with basically how many times you're reading the sample over and over and over. But the result of depth of sequencing that's important is that it tells you more and more layers of detail. So um, with any sort of organism, you, you have sort of this taxonomy that starts really, really large and then narrows, narrows, narrows down. Like, uh, you know, hominis is, is basically humans or homo is, is human, but then you've got homo sapien, you've got homo erectus. So you've got this kind of uh, differentiation. And so if you have too little of a depth of sequencing, you're going to get just kind of general information. Like if you're trying to f figure out who a person is by using this tech and you're, you're, uh, too general in the application basically what you're going to come up with is uh we've got a man with wispy curly brown hair um if you add another level of depth of sequencing then maybe you get to hey we've got a man with wispy curly brown hair and his name is michael chapman um but then it turns out there's lots of different michael chapmans in the world there's a singer songwriter michael chapman <laughs> there's a michael chapman who's a director of photography wow. for a long time wow. um he did Kindergarten Cop, to be specific. Interesting. Uh, and so the, you still need another layer of sequencing. You go even deeper from the depth of sequencing, and then you realize there's a Michael Chapman who has a birthmark on his back um, mm -hmm. and is a, a bit awkward. So um, <laughs> that's that's what you want. And you don't want to go too deep either because then you start getting all these details that are relatively they're, – they're not important. They're not relevant. So mm -hmm. understanding how to use depth of sequencing can be really important in, in – doing this tech correctly. And, and I'll say, there are a couple of reasons why it is so important, and I think you laid that out very, very well. The more you sequence, that depth of sequencing can make, a you know, it's, it's expensive, right? Uh, so there, yeah. there is that happy medium. So if you have a, a, a whole genome sequencing test that's remarkably cheap, odds are they're not investing in the tech to go deep enough. Mm -hmm. And I often think about depth of sequencing almost like pixels in a picture, mm. right? Like you put enough pixels together, I can sort of see that you, Michael, it sort of looks like you versus adding another layer, more pixels, more pixels to say, ah, that's Michael Chapman. So mm. again, I like that analogy. Yeah. Layers of resolution. Yeah. yeah. So it is exactly what that is. So if, if someone is, if you had a metagenomics test and it's like 50 bucks, odds are you're not going to get that deep to get the exact specific yeah. information. And also more likely to have inaccuracies. Correct. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so the next thing that's very, very important, the depth of sequencing is really about accuracy. Mm -hmm. um, but then once you have, just remember, what's coming off this machine, this shotgun sequencing machine, is a just a bunch of genes. C's and G's and T's yeah. and A's. All those, all those. And a sequence exactly. of. Exactly. Right. We all saw Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> With the little guy who's like trying to explain DNA. That's what you get off this machine. And so to know how to take those genes and to identify them mm -hmm. is where we use something called a library, okay? And a library is how, it's basically a list of all these different genes and what they look like. And so the library is used to take those genes that come off the machine and then label them. So we know exactly what those genes are, where they came from, uh, what they're doing, all mm -hmm. that different information. Because without that, you just get a report that's like the Human Genome Project. That's just <laughs> C's, and G's, and, and A's, and C's, right? So yeah. we, the library is actually where, where the money's at. And there's evolution of these libraries. And that's, that's another thing about what we're doing here at Genova is um, the library that we have culminated, like you said, we're in partnership with uh, Microba. They basically were the ones who built the original library. And since that library that's been built and is now public, which is what most companies doing this type of testing are using, this sort of general public library, they have actually built onto that, uh, improved it, and they've discovered innumerable number of additional bacteria, organisms, genes, to the point that they've gotten 95% roughly of the whole microbiome sequenced, which is way more than anyone else out there. So anyone who's doing metagenomics goes to this public library that was created by Microba, Genova's partners. Microba and you has know it's at the public library. I mean, it's just like it's <laughs> but then, Dewey Decimal System. Of course, way ahead of the curve as Microba is as a world leader. They've further developed that. They're, they're discovering new organisms every single day. But I think the most important thing is the way that they curate that library. Because if you can imagine you have this public library and you have researchers all over the world and they think, oh, look, I just discovered my own organism and I'm going to call it um, Michael Chapsmania, and I'm going to put it in this library. But really, Microba goes in there and says, no, that's not novel. That's actually this. So they're yeah. good at curating and cutting out all of that noise. So if, if you don't have that knowledge, it's easy to then misidentify things. And the other piece of this is that that taxonomy changes so rapidly yeah. and evolves that things are now being called something different. Microba is on top of that. So unless you're dealing with the company who's working with the library that this is that is this advanced, you know, you're probably getting wrong information. Yeah, you're way behind. It, you know, both as you, as you said from the uh, identification standpoint, but also from the taxonomy standpoint like you're probably misidentifying in two different ways correct. either you've got the wrong label or the name's not correct and those are two yeah. different things and so to stay on top of both of those requires a ton of effort for sure okay i think we've made the point you know metagenomics is kind of where this is leading this is kind of like the the cutting edge and i also want to say just because you're getting a metagenomic test, you need to look for all of these things that we just brought up, like depth of sequencing, what's your library? You know, all of these things are really, really important and make sure you choose wisely. And I'm, not, I'm just going to tell you, the microbiomics is probably way ahead of all of them mm -hmm. in the metagenomic world. So mm -hmm. let's just stay there. But we talked about metagenomics and the microbiomics being cutting edge. There's actually something else that's bleeding edge. I don't know if you want to go there, Michael, with metatranscriptomics. Yeah, so <laughs> another omics, another fancy word. Um, so you have these genes, right? Mm -hmm. And we've all got genes, and genes are basically the recipes. 
Okay. Yeah. They're they're what your body can do, what it can make from a protein perspective. Now, whether it's actually doing that, the body has to sort of say, okay, you go over here and make proteins from this gene. That's called transcription. It's basically how those genes end up turning into the blueprint for making something. Um, and the thing about this transcription aspect is it's it's constantly adjusting in real time to the needs of the body. Um, and it is about as snapshot as a snapshot can get because this is changing so rapidly that it's really only reflective of a very specific point in time. And so to, to use this uh, from any sort of diagnostic or clinical perspective can be very problematic because basically this this is going to change so rapidly that you're going to get different information all the time. And so this is an area where we're still learning a lot. It has specific applications in research for sure. When they're trying to say like, if you've got an active infection, then this gene is being copied rapidly because it's trying to fight an infection. But then once that infection is different the next day, it's going to look totally different. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite ready for any sort of real clinical use in our opinion. Uh, But again, we'll, we're certainly monitoring as to whether there is development that's that's relevant from an evaluation and diagnostic standpoint. And I think another thing that makes transcriptomics different is that you're you're measuring the RNA, and an yeah. RNA molecule is incredibly unstable yeah. because Michael, you just pointed out, it changes so rapidly; it's very difficult to preserve. Breaks right? down quickly. Yeah. So if you're sending in a sample and you're you you know, it's a stool sample, you want to get a snapshot of the microbiome using transcriptomics, it's incredibly difficult, very unstable. And what does it mean to, to your point, Michael, it's a moment in time. So there are a lot of clinical claims being made out there um, as it relates to findings from transcriptomics microbiome tests, which are dubious at best, completely false and made up at worst, Whoa. clearly not ready for prime time. Wow. But to Michael's point, you know, it's we're currently on the cutting edge with the microbiomics. This is bleeding edge, and we're going to follow it. We're going to follow the science and see where it goes. Wow. You just seemed angry there. <laughs> angry? passionate. I'm passionate about the <laughs> microbiome. Pew, pew. <laughs> How do you make a shotgun sound? Like this. <laughs> well done. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about the health benefits of candy corn. Maybe we'll even throw in the mallow cup. And other practical uses for circus peanuts. Gross, I hate those. They're a good doorstop. (laughs) You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Yeah, circus peanuts, it's a consistency issue. It's got a weird feeling in my mouth. I just hated those. They're gross. I like them. You do? Well, you also like candy corn, which I think is just like wax sugar grossness. Yeah, they're good. Is that your favorite? Favorite Halloween candy? Yeah, what's your favorite? It's candy, I mean. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Skittles. Is that really a Halloween candy? What defines a Halloween candy? I don't know. I sort of think of like those bit of honeys or Mary Janes. You know, all the like really cheap candy. They don't have those in caramel. (laughs) They have Charleston Chew or something really, you know. No, full-blown, 100 grand, full candy bars. Yeah, you you had a weird upbringing. I don't even know who you are. I don't know who I am either. (laughs) 